Well, good afternoon, everyone. Goodness, it's a big crowd this morning. How are you? Good, good. <laughs> it's getting better all the time. <laughs> so, happy Mother's Day. yesterday about the feminine. So the feminine principle and spirituality or goddess worship and so forth. So it's a big uh, part of Hinduism, no doubt. But she asked it in in relation to Krishna Bhakti, because there you are. Krishna's, um, what's your name? Monica. Monica, okay. Because Krishna's appears pretty male. <laughs> it's quite nice, but. Um, and that's an interesting, interesting topic. We talked about it a little bit, just in brief, yesterday. And um, in Bengal, our tradition, particular tradition of this kind of kirtan, actually, it um, incidentally, historically, this um, tradition has very much, if not all, to do with the, the kirtan that goes on in the yogic community um, around the world these days in different traditions, different lineages and so forth. Kirtan on the congregational chanting, the call and response and so forth, is um, is a limb, if you will, of the body of bhakti. Hmm? And it's the principal limb. And in general, and particularly, it's, it's uh, the principal limb of bhakti and the pursuit of spiritual life in general in the age that we live in, according to the sacred texts, it's throughout all the sacred texts. It's called the Kali, Kali Yuga, the Yuga, the millennium of Kali. I mean, not Kali, but Kali. There's a difference. It's long A and the short A. Kali is the Kali is the goddess that we're also going to talk about a little bit. That I'm thinking about, and uh, Kali is another fellow altogether. Kali is, uh, is is like is thought to be the personification of a the of the of a, a, a quality of time, if you will, that is not uh, auspicious. Time in the West is often more often thought of as a, a quantitative measurement, and uh, it is of course. But um, in in Indian uh, thought and in Indian spiritual thought, it's often thought of or referred to more in terms of the quality. The quality of the time is what's um, sought to be brought out. For example, Indian history from the sacred texts is not like modern history where we have a chronology of events one after another and it's important to keep track of each and every one and the more that you keep track of, the more comprehensive 
your history is. No, it's rather uh, a, 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 a chronicling of things of spiritual significance that happened, which, which um, speak about the quality of the time, if you will, at that time, a qualitative thing of importance, of spiritual significance, took place. An avatara, for example. Avatara means like uh, up, and tara means crossing, so crossing from up to down. It means like the descent of divinity in the world, and we have these different emotional waves in the life of the absolute that we call avatars, different, uh, that represent different different, like, how they say, moments or waves in the ocean of the uh, emotional life of, uh, of the Absolute, which is an interesting concept. We often think that our lives are full of emotional ups and downs, but the Absolute must be placid and peaceful, like a calm lake and so forth. But in the Bhakti tradition, we speak about waves in that lake, but they are waves which is implies difference and diversity that doesn't compromise unity. Here the waves in our emotional life, they get in the way of our unity. Because I have a wave that says, I'd like to do this, and you have a wave that says, well, I'd like to do that. And so we're, to one extent or another, at odds with one another. Hmm? And so to come to unity, we, we would like to have, uh, for, to use this metaphor of water, a very calm and clear, peaceful pond. Hmm. But bhakti speaks about more like a tsunami, <laughs> but in a positive sense, one that doesn't get in the way of, uh, of unity. Um, if you take, let's say, for example, if you have that peaceful pond, you approach it in the forest, and then you throw a stone in it, hmm, there will be ripples that are concentric, and it's very beautiful. There's some diversity there, hmm. but it's still pl- it's pleasing. Now, if you took another stone and threw it in, in another place, then it would be problematic. But if you took a second stone, and a third stone, and a fourth stone, and a hundred and eighth stone, and threw them all in the exact same place, then the waves would be bigger, but they would all be unified at the same time. There would be diversity and unity, even though there's many, many stones, for example. Hmm? So this is kind of the idea of bhakti and yoga, to further play out the, the idea, the sutras of Patanjali, Yoga Sutras, the goal is citta vritti nirodha, right? You know it. So the, that, the, that there will be no vrittis in the, in the citta. Citta is an unexplainable word. Uh, it's, a, it's part of yoga psychology, analyzing the mind in ways that are, are different than, well, neuroscience or philosophy of mind analyzes. Uh, yeah, kind of the, uh, it, it's talked about internal organ, chitta, buddhi, manas, uh, really slight uh, variations and whatnot. Chitta may mean heart, it might mean mind, it means consciousness, it means that uh, it's, it's kind of like a mirror that of perception that when placed, for example, in relation to matter, then it assumes almost the form of the objects that it uh, 
that it uh, reflects on, in, that those are then vrittis, in the, like waves in the mind. And, and so, like I've said before, by consciousness we kind of extend ourself into things and give meaning to things. It's meaningful because it's mine, <laughs> because I went inside of it. And I lost sight of the fact that it's me that's giving it meaning, and I think that the thing is meaningful, but it's only meaningful because it's mine, because I have gone into it. Hmm? By two small words, we made a big problem. Two small letters, M and Y, big problem. Because Why? Because the identity, of course, that's formed from that is one that won't endure because nothing is mine, hmm? as time tells us. Hmm? And time is not insentient. After all, it takes a lot of intelligence to try to control a small thing on our part, <laughs> and we can't. That which is controlling everything must be pretty smart, hmm? live, conscious. So, in bhakti, then, these we have a, we have the same idea, citta vritti nirodha. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, great, the great kirtanir, that I'm also talking about here, in a roundabout way, he said it like this, Cheto Darpana Marjanam, that the mirror of the Chitta, Cheto, same, same word, should be Marjanam, it should be cleaned of the Vrittis. Hmm? But he said, this is the beginning of Kirtan. Kirtan, he's talking about Kirtan, he says, Cheto Darpana Marjanam, Bhava Maha Davagani Nirvapanam, Shreyakairabachandrikabhataranam, Vidya Jivanam Anandam Buddhi Bardanam Pratipatam Punamrita Svadanam Sarvatma Snapanam Param Bijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtanam Kirtanam and Sankirtan means collectively to do Kirtan collectively about Sri Krishna he says all these things happen and Chittubhiti Nirodha or Chetadarpanamajanam same idea in different words is the beginning result that we should expect from kirtan. Hmm. A cleansing of the mind, a cleansing of the consciousness, and a clearing out the, uh, re- well, nirodha, bringing an end to these vrittis, which is really about what material attachment is about. It causes these waves of the mind to, to cause... Uh, give us a kind of a tossing and a turning life, a life of difference that puts us at odds with one, with one another. Hmm? Puts us at odds with our real self as well. Hmm? So this is the beginning. So there's more. And the more is, interestingly enough, uh, waves in the water, but they're concentric. Hmm? Bhakti is a kind of a bias. And you think, well, spiritual life should be unbiased. Certainly, God should not be, you know, bought out like. What's that movie? <laughs> Inside Job. Inside Job. There's a movie. <laughs> a, somebody's been paid off. You know, the politicians bought off by the cor- corporation. You know, by the corporate bankers and so forth. <laughs> Idea. So um, we would think that the, the president should be shouldn't be bought and paid for by anyone. He's supposed to represent or she's supposed to represent everyone. So what to speak of God. And spiritual life should be without a bias, without attachment. Hmm? It should be objective. 
there's some truth to that, no doubt. Um, because if we're too close to a thing, well, we can't understand it. If, we're, if I'm too attached to you, then I won't. I will. I will. Uh, I won't be able to look at you objectively. <laughs> that might not be so bad. But um, so to step back, yoga is a little bit about stepping back from the world to see it for what it really is, and it's not everything that we might think it is. Hmm? So. How then is bhakti about attachment? And how can we speak about spiritual life, bhakti, with, in terms of a bias? It's a different kind of a bias. It's very similar, but it's different. Hmm? It's attachment to one kind of wave in the emotional life of the absolute or another, one avatar or another. There are bhaktas of Ram, for example. There are bhaktas of Krishna, hmm? and so many different avatars. And these avatars are different... I want to talk of them like, speak of them like, as I have been, like waves, like emotions are kind of like waves. They rise up and then they, they crash down and another wave comes and in the ocean of our life. So the Absolute is alive. And, uh, and uh, after all, you know, we're a unit of consciousness. We're, we're active by nature. Our presence in connection with matter animates matter. Hmm? So, unto itself then, consciousness, uncovered, unfettered by matter, by attachment, will it only be still when we find that in connection with matter, it animates matter. In a sense, what I'm saying is the whole of the movement of material existence is the sleeping condition of the soul. If it wakes up, what then? Will there be movement? It would seem that there's quite a possibility of that. So this means that beyond shanti, if you will, beyond just having the peace, the big relief of becoming out from underneath the oppression of the mind and and the senses, the attachments that we have, the life that that affords us, the uncomfortable life that it affords us to one extent or another. Coming out from underneath that, becoming peaceful and restful, there's, there's, there's scope for movement, for dancing. We talked about it a little bit the other day. So there's a bias. I'll give you an example. Do you know who Hanuman is? Right? Okay. Hanuman's a great devotee of Ram. And so, do you know who Garuda is? Garuda is a great devotee of Krishna. He's a, like a bird carrier, like a swan carrier of Krishna. Not in the pastoral leelas of Krishna, where he's playing the flute, but in the more majestic leelas in Dwarka, where he has a big palace and he's a prince there. The different phases in his life, so different emotional moments. And there are devotees that correspond with those different um, moments in, in his life. Arjun corresponds with a certain moment in the life of the Absolute. There he is a statesman on the chariot. He's speaking Upanishadic wisdom and so forth. Huh? Very noble. And uh, and in Vrindavan, in the, in the pastoral setting, well, he's just like a jungle person, like a cowherd person, no education. And, uh, and um, he's closer to the people there to those devotees. They can get closer to him. He's more human-like. He's sweeter. The Godhead is more sweet. Sweet means that 
if 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 God acts like a human, that's sweet, that's charming. You follow? He he puts aside the God. He puts aside his godliness to get closer to to the humans. And of course, love is very human. It's a fallen condition. In other words, love is a fallen condition. It doesn't get any higher than that. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> so, for the gods, for example, and the goddesses in Hinduism, they're, they're, they're not as, they're, their realm is, doesn't facilitate loving as much as human society. Hmm. Uh, so, anyway, Krishna. Krishna is like the fountainhead, if you will, of so many different avatars. That's why Krishna is depicted just playing the flute. I said the other day, who plays only has to have all power because it takes power to play. You can't just go on a vacation unless you've got some money that you saved up. You've got some power. Hmm? Or your whole life, you know, now you can retire. You've got your, hopefully, your 401k or whatever. <laughs> Mine is growing food and milking cows. <laughs> that's, my, that's what I've got. <laughs> it works pretty good. So, uh, we have to have some power to play. So, if all the gods and goddesses are depicted in terms of some power, meditative power, austerity, like Shiva. Hmm? Brahma's got like four heads. He's a pretty big thinker. He's trying to manage everything. And you've got um, many, many gods and goddesses, right, in the Hindu uh, pantheon. And they do correspond one extent or another with different. Uh, Aspects of our own microcosmic, you know, being, psychology, and so forth. So Krishna is the heart of all of that, and he's just playing. Has nothing to accomplish. Hmm? No task to accomplish. In the Gita, Krishna speaks to Arjuna. He speaks about himself sometimes in terms of what other avatars of himself do. It's a way of the teaching is, is demonstrating that Krishna is the fountainhead of all the different avatars, all powerful, all playing, and then some aspect of that is manifest, a, a wave, if you will, again, in the emotional life of the Absolute. So there are devotees that attach themselves to one or another, hmm? to, the, to the Ram avatar, like Hanuman, hmm? to the Krishna avatar, and within that, in 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 the, in the princely leela, the more majestic leela, or in the pastoral, more human-like leela, it's a huge realm of possibilities which we would naturally think love must afford. So many possibilities, hmm? uh, diversity. Love is unity, but it's also full of uh, of, of diversity. So, Hanuman was uh, called by Krishna. Krishna was in Dwarka in his past, in his majestic Leela. He sent Garuda, his bird carrier, he said, there's a devotee of mine named Hanum and he's over here. Go over there and tell him that I'd like to see him. So Garuda flew over there to talk to Hanum and said, Krishna is in Dwarka. He's called for He'd like to see you. So Hanuman said, all right, well, tell him I'll be right there. And Garuda said, well, you know, I'm here to take you back. It's Krishna calling you. He said you were a great devotee. 
he wants to personally see you. You know, your whole life is dedicated to him, and he wants to see you. And you say, well, I'll get to be there in a few minutes, like you've got something else to do. <laughs> what's, what's going on? And he said, I said I'll be there in a few minutes. And so Garuda flies back, right, to uh, Krishna, and he said, and Krishna says, what did he say? He said, he said he'd be there in a, in, in a few minutes. What's up? You know. So he said, I was going to meet a great devotee. And then he said, okay, well, go, what did he say? He said, go back hmm, and tell him that, um, what did he tell him? That Ram wants to see him. Hmm? And so he goes back and he says that Ram would like to see you. And so Hanuman says, and he's in Dwarka with Krishna, something like that. So Hanuman says, all right, all right. Um, uh, I'll be right there. Yeah, I'll be there. And so then, but Garuda said, well, hop on, I'll take it. He said, no, no, it's all right. So he's still bewildered, so he's flying back. Garuda's flying back, thinking there's no quicker way to get to Ram or Krishna than than me. I'm the carrier of Krishna. I'm fl- he, he wants to go his own way. Meanwhile, he's flying back, and Hanuman's coming back the other way, saying, Ram. Right. Hanuman's a big has a big step, you know. He jumps, so he, the implication: he jumped there, and was on his way back before Garuda could get there. Hmm? And so, his affinity for Ram, in other words, was so strong. His bias for Ram, hmm? if you will. So this is a beautiful. You see, this is an ornament. It looks like a fault, but when the bias is for the Godhead, and the Godhead is not. Um, is is diverse, like we are, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> we should at least afford God as much diversity as as we have or we expect. Mm-hmm. We would like to see and unity at the same time. So bhakti like this. So this kind of bhakti, it's about chitta vritti nirodha, cleansing the mind of all these vrittis. But more than that. It's about bhakti vritti udai, that the awakening of a bhakti vritti means that Bhagawan, in a particular um, embodiment of some aspect of his emotional life, will come on our mind, and and madchita madgata prana, It'll stay there, <laughs> hmm? stay there. And this will then, then, transport me into that realm, so to speak. Hmm? So this kirtan, it is a limb, as I said, of the body, of bhakti, and it's the principal limb in this time, the quality of the time. Kali Yuga is a quality of time. It's talked about in terms of quantity, but also to some extent. But largely, what it means is that the time in in Hinduism and in the East, the large is, is, is cyclical. There's no beginning. Things keep going round. Samsar going round and round. There's no beginning. Uh, the world comes, expands and contracts, expands and contracts. It's a multiverse that expands and contracts, expands and contracts. It's compared to the to the breathing of Vishnu. So Vishnu has no beginning, so the world has no beginning. His breath has no beginning. He breathes out, the world be- manifests. The one Vishnu 
becomes many. As all of us, we're very small, and uh, the, the Maya Shakti is very big, so it becomes problematic for us. And so, therefore, Avatara, hmm, he descends into the world to make a remedy hmm, that we might meet our Maker. Hmm. And the thing keeps going on like this. He breathes in, it all comes back, and we go to sleep. Hmm. Karma is suspended, but it hasn't been worked out by sadhana. So again, the breath comes out. Again, it starts. But some people are always coming out. And there's unlimited people on each side. Because <laughs> in infinity, there's no, there is no finite in a sense. It's just a word. It's a perception. Infinite everywhere. So, the time then, Within that breathing cycle, poetic breathing cycle, if you will, it goes through different phases, and there's a there's a collective of karma. Hmm? Karma is the output the, the, and the and the and the response to that. We we invest ourselves in matter, we exploit it to one extent or another, and there's repercussions. It's like a machine. You know, you put in a certain. God's kind of aloof from the whole thing. You put in to the machine, and the nature responds back. Hmm? And so there's an accumulation of karma that kind of colors the time. So there are times, Satya Yuga, Dwarpa Yuga, Treta Yuga, Kali Yuga. And Kali Yuga is an accumulation of qualitatively of time that's not really very spiritually uh, conducive. It's a time of hypocrisy um, and quarrel and... Uh, um, and the Kali, right? The Kali Yuga, the person Kali, not Kali, the goddess. We're also talking about this Kali. He's uh, the personification of quarrel, and the Bhagavad is depicted as a, as a, as a, interestingly enough, as a politician who's who's not qualified to be a politician, <laughs> something like that. Hmm? So we can be sure we're in a Kali Yuga. <laughs> And so it's said in all the sacred texts that the kirtan is most efficacious for Kali Yuga. Hmm? And, and we see this also in a secular sense. People do secular expressions of kirtan. They take, if, if, the, if everyone would take to the streets with placards and say, I'm not putting my money in a bank anymore, or something like that, and all of them... Millions of them converge around um, um, Citicorp or something like that. You know, they would, that would be it, right? It'd be, it was very powerful. This is how, the, 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 for example, the um, the uh, what's it called? The wall in West Germany, yeah, the Berlin. Berlin Wall was taken down because people just rose up everywhere and they had enough. They went to the streets. They chanted. Hmm? Down with you know so and so, but it's a it's an it's indication we would take it that of the, of the effica- the effectiveness the efficacious nature of of chanting in mass something like that. So when that is honed, if you will, then and the and the chanting is 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 the names of God and so forth by persons with spiritual aspiration. This is a very powerful spiritual. Um, 
exercise. And we find, indeed, that although kirtan is a limb of the body of bhakti, there are other limbs, like hearing. Chanting is one, hearing is the other. Remembering or meditating, smaranam, dhyan, this is another. It's thought that by hearing, then chanting, and by hearing and chanting, the mind will automatically start to meditate in due course of time. It's hard to sit and try to meditate. Hmm? But you can, if you, if you can time, you'll find by kirtan, after kirtan, in kirtan, the mind will stop. Hmm? And after it will continue to stop, so to speak. That's why you can feel yourself, a little particle of ecstasy. And uh, it's kirtana prabhavi smarana sobhavi. By the power of kirtan, medit- the force of kirtan, meditation will come about naturally, powerfully. I'll give another interesting example in high sense, to go in a very high sense. Yogis are trying to fix the mind on some manifestation of Krishna, as much as Krishna is the fountainhead of all the forms of divinity, the heart of divinity. So it's difficult, you know, to try to fix the mind on Krishna. Hmm? Radha is trying to get Krishna off of her mind. Hmm? She's singing about him, and she's oh, how should I think about that rascal? Hmm? Trying, she can't, <laughs> she can't get him off of her mind. So this is the power of kirtan, in the words. It's brought her to such a state of absorption hmm? that, uh, that even to try to get Krishna off of her mind, she cannot. Hmm? So this is a way of saying how powerful, efficacious is kirtan, and we see, for that matter. In a spiritual community today, let's say, for example, in North America, in Europe also, in the West, where this, um, some of these Eastern ideas have been coming for a few decades now, hmm? um, yoga, meditation, and, uh, and so on, we find that there are a number of different spiritual disciplines about and about from the East, and mixtures of Eastern and Western, and Kirtan is popular everywhere. I saw someone sent me a YouTube video the other day of Jewish Kirtan. They had a harmonium like this, and they were singing. And uh, (laughs) uh, so it's uh, we find that, for example, technically speaking, yoga, Ashtanga yoga. What are the limbs of the body of Ashtanga yoga? You know them. Yama, Niyama, Asana, right? uh, Pranayam, Pratyahar, Dharana, Dhyan, Samadhi. Kirtan is not mentioned there. That is not one of the limbs of Astanga Yoga. It's eightfold. And in Gyan Marg, the path of knowledge, also there are limbs. There are four limbs. There's Vivek, there's uh, Bairagya, there's Mumukshatva, um, and um, then the cultivation of six kind of qualities of mind, forbearance, tolerance, and so forth. Kirtan is not mentioned. We can find jnanis and yogis everywhere doing kirtan, isn't it? You can find everywhere. Hmm? Like Muktananda, for example. You know Muktananda, Siddha Yoga, his, uh, his uh, sect. Um, he's passed on, but uh, they do kirtan. He's a Kashmiri Shaivite and yogi. Hmm? Paramahamsa Yogananda. Hmm? These are, you know, from the times gone by, 
uh, in the also yoga tradition, not in the bhakti tradition, but in his sect also they're doing kirtan. So this kirtan is just overflowing everywhere. It's actually a limb of the body of bhakti, the principal limb. Hmm? And the kind of kirtan, this call and response, sponsor, especially Hare Krishna kirtan, Govinda Jaya. Now they do also Shiva, Shiva kirtan or Devi kirtan and so forth. Shiva doesn't ask for that. You won't find anywhere in the Agamas or in, in the sacred text, Shiva says, just chant my name and I'll be there. Hmm? He, he doesn't say, Krishna says those kind of things. Satatam kirtantomam. He describes, my devotees, this is what they do, they're always chanting about me. He says it with feeling and uh, what can I do? I mean, if people, you know, if you're in a, if people are talking about you in the other room, you're, what's going on? <laughs> you're going there. <laughs> Something like that. It's a little vain on our part, but Krishna is the center, so it's appropriate. Hmm? uh, You see, if we give to the center, then the circumference is nourished automatically, right? Where shall we give the food? Somewhere. To the hand? Only as much as the hand will be willing to give it to the tongue, only as much as the tongue will be willing to give it to the stomach, wherein it will be transformed in a way that the hand could not, that the tongue could not, and it would nourish the entirety of the body. So there has to be a center. Hmm? Someone told me, one of my students the other day, that Christ, some time ago, Christ is a better example of, of, of divinity than your Krishna. Krishna is an enjoyer, and Christ is a sacrificer. He did the sacrifice. And Krishna's just enjoying all the time. Hmm? So I said, well, yeah, that's true, but you have to understand that who is he sacrificing for? In other words, sacrifice is giving. So there has to be someone on the other end (laughs) who's taking. And how will we depict that taking, that center, hmm? as the enjoyer, but a special kind of enjoyer? Because the center enjoys taking and then transforming and distributing everywhere in a way that no other part of the whole can. Hmm? So Krishna is depicted as the enjoyer, but if we look carefully, we see, oh, everything is offered to him, but it all comes back hmm? in a way that uh, that that uh, the part couldn't distribute equally. The roots of the tree is where we'll pour the water if we want to nourish the whole. So Krishna is the fountainhead. Hmm? Now, we may also become a devotee of Ram or this one or that and so forth and so on. Hmm? Uh, same same principle. It's like it's a big center. kind of hmm? um, Has appetite for different types of sentiments. Something like that. Can digest them all. Hmm? But this... Uh, this kirtan is particularly for Krishna. He's the only one that asks for it. Many, many places he speaks about the kirtan. This is very peculiar to, or particular to, uh, to bhakti. Hmm? Even Ram bhakti, Vishnu bhakti. Hmm? This is bhakti to like different avatars of Krishna. Krishna's avatari. Brahma is avatar, it's like the angi and the anga, the body and the limb. Hmm? So, 
in Krishna, everything that is in Ram is found and something else. And in Vishnu, in Ram, everything that is in Vishnu is found in something else, something more. More means, more means this, more possibilities of reciprocal dealings in love. We measure spiritually, then, in this way, not by miles. When we talk about the spiritual dimensions, or Leela, for example, we're not talking about so many miles you go here, you find Ram, and so many more miles there, you'll find, find Krishna, right? The, di- the distance is sentiments, hmm? like Vishnu, Narayana. Hmm? He personifies this aspect of divinity, who will embrace reverential love, like passive or ser- servile kind of love, like love of the servant and the master. It's like agape, to use a, uh, a Greek term. Krishna takes it to divine eros. Hmm? It's, it's a, a more developed idea of a possibility of reciprocal dealings, which is what love is constituted of. So these different avatars, they correspond, as I said, with like different emotional moments in the life of the Absolute, and different devotees gather around those moments, have feeling for those, enter into a kind of a union on the basis of those feelings and participate in Leela thereby. So, Kirtan, then, there is Ram Kirtan, Sita Ram, Sita Ram, Hanuman, and so forth. Ram, this Ram, Raghupati Ram, Sita's Ram. There are different Rams also. Sita's Ram is very, of course, human-like. He's one avatar of Krishna. Ram is so, um, how you say, so dharmic that you know he must be God because no one could be that dharmic. Then <laughs> 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 it's impossible. <laughs> uh, so his divinity, he very noble, hmm? always does the right thing, however painful it might be, he will do the right thing. Just like break your heart almost. How could he do that? It's right, but but is it right? Hmm. You know? Okay. Uh, so, you know, the Leela of Ram, it's, it's, it's like that. Hmm. Krishna's Leela is different. It's a different moment, they say, in the life of the absolutes. It's different. He appears to be a dharmic Krishna. If we look carefully at that, we see, oh, he's super dharmic also in a different, different sense. And there's more possibility of loving reciprocal dealings. So it's a, it's a, it's the one absolute, but expressing itself hmm, in relation to different types of bhakti, different expressions of bhakti, different sentiments, pure sentiments. After chittabhrti nirodha, hmm, after all the sentiments arising from chittabhrti, hmm, from the from the vrittis of the mind resulting from material attachments, we have emotions based on that. That would have to be evened out. Hmm. Now we're talking about another kind of emotion, where again, bias becomes beautiful. Hmm. Where it becomes an ornament rather than a fault. Hmm. Where it creates diversity that doesn't compromise unity. Hmm. It's a very nice idea. Hmm. So this kirtan, anyway, that's so popular today hmm, in the spiritual community, it overflows into different paths. And we find Devi Kirtan and Ganesh Kirtan and uh, and uh, uh, Ram Kirtan and 
Krishna Kirtan. Kirtan is for bhakti. It's a limb of, of the body of bhakti. And particularly, in its fullest expression, it pertains to Krishna. Krishna's, because, you know, song is... It's uh, Most of the songs are romantic. <laughs> directly or indirectly. They may be indirectly romantic. Even they may be... Uh, they're about love, I would say, for the most part. Um, you know, sometimes you have to sing like Bob Dylan, you know, he was... Silly. But it was love, you know, you know, when he said, you know, uh, well, you know, how many times must a man look up before he can... You know, it's about love too, right? That's a profound kind of... So, that's kind of a beginning love. We're talking, when in relation to the Absolute, it becomes more romantic, even more impassioned. So, kirtan. So, this kirtan that's popular today, it has its really in the form that we see it readily. Hmm? Like the harmonium like this, few instruments now, they add a few other Western instruments, it's fine and so forth. It comes from Bengal, really, and um, from Vrindavan, which is uh, about 90 miles south of Delhi, and Bengal. And if you go to Vrindavan, it's full of Bengalis. Hmm? Hmm? Especially Bengali widows. Hmm? Their husbands pass away, they go to Vrindavan to marry Krishna, hmm? live there the rest of their life. And all they do is kirtan. Hmm? They go from one temple to another. Vrindavan's full of, full of temples, and so the bell's ringing at one at one time. An hour later, it's ringing at the next one, so all set up like that. So they just go from temple to temple to temple and do kirtan. Hmm? This... Um, Bengal is where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared, Sri Chaitanya. Hmm? He is the kind of the, the um, center of this uh, culture of kirtan. At the time, historically in India, the Advaitins hmm, from uh, the Shankar's lineage um, had kind of a, and the Smartas, Smartas are a corresponding class of priests, they had kind of a monopoly on religion, and it was it was largely thought that in order to get mukti, liberation, you'd have to be born as a Brahmin first. And then once you got born as a Brahmin, you had to become a sannyasin. And then you could get mukti. And this was and and this was then distancing the common people, if you will, from God in like you had like had to go through a few hoops to get to God and it seemed like God could be closer to us than that despite our lack of qualification if you will Hmm? and so this kirtan largely uh, came in bhakti tradition it was I don't want to say it began but it was like revived that part of the sacred text was brought out by certain saints as an answer to that by way of saying in the name, through the name, God is coming to you. Because of fact, if we, if if nam, the name and the named, are the same, I mean, in language, the more that the sound of the word corresponds with the object it seeks to describe, we could say the more perfect the language is. Hmm? So it's 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 thought that Krishna. This sound, 
Hmm? Like, oh, the sound. It has a corresponding subjective object. <laughs> it, it's corresponding reality. Hmm? Hmm? So it said the name, for example, Krishna, and the named are one and the same. Vinatvam nam namino. Hmm? The name and the named are one and the same. So the chanting is such that in due course you realize that. We might be chanting, you think, I want to go here, or I want to go there, I want to get rid of this, or I want to do that, or calm my mind, or whatever. And in due course we find that the name itself, inside the name, is the form, the qualities, the leelas. What's in a name? Right? Everything. You say, did you get his name? Nowadays it's, did you get his social security number? Then you've got him. You got the whole bank account, everything. So this is the same idea in Nam th- theology of Nam, hmm? theology of Kirtan. Everything is in the name. You get the name, and if you really get the name, hmm? by, and you'll get it by c- just continually chanting, the name will manifest itself, express itself. You say Nam Prabhu, the name is personified, express himself. Hmm? And a particular form of the Godhead will manifest in your heart. And qua- corresponding qualities, and within you a budding kind of love for, for example, Krishna in a particular sentiment, like a friend, for example, or like like a lover. Hmm? And certain qualities then of that particular avatar, if it's Ram or what, will start to manifest. Hmm? It's a very extraordinary idea. So, in the name, such power is there. And every religious tradition says this also. You know, the Bible says something like, in the beginning, the word's the word, and the word was one. And in the Hebrew tradition, they say, you can't sing the name of God because it's so sacred. If you say it, it's like... It means the same thing. It's sacred. And in the times uh, of what I'm talking about, historic, historically in India, in the, in the 15th century or so, 15th, 16th century, this bhakti... Revival. Revival means it's there in all the sacred texts. Hmm? It's there from antiquity. It's really the essence of it. But people get, even in the context of pursuing the sacred texts and their significance, get drawn to the, to the, to the circumference because we come from there. Here's what I mean. Our lives materially run on two tracks, we could say, to simplify we try to enjoy things, we get tired of them, and we try to renounce them. Hmm? It's called boga and tag. Hmm? You do something until it just bores the hell out of you. You say, I'm not even going to do that again. Right? And then you go do something else. After a while, you come back to that thing again. Hmm? When we were kids, it was a while long ago. It is, we would chew gum in the school and then put it underneath the desk, you know, and after a while, this, this class was so boring. Anyway, take it back out and try, <laughs> try it again. <laughs> That's a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, this is material life. We're moving on these two tracks. Another way of talking about it, we move on the taking track and the renouncing track. Hmm? We go out to something and we, lo- we try to get away from something. And it's all in the world is the center in each case. I try to enjoy the world. I try to reject the world. Hmm? Now, there are spiritual disciplines, if you will, uh, or there are disciplines, let's say, 
there are, yeah, there are religious, and I want to, there's a religious and a spiritual discipline that correspond with these two. The religious discipline is for taking. It's called the karma marg, hmm? so or the dharma marg. There's a there's a path articulated in the text. How, if you want to take, take like this, hmm? perform this sacrifice, say this, face in that direction, make sure the smoke goes up instead of out, and all these details and so forth, and you'll get a good daughter. And then, and then, and you give something from it. The wife will eat that, or something. You know, and there's a potion. This is a magical kind of karmic, ritualistic realm, and it's about, ostensibly, it's about acquisition. How to acquire mm-hmm. systematically, and uh, by understanding subtleties of the world and connecting with them, and so how to get things, and how to get them in such a way that You've honored the givers, because it's a sacrifice that you perform. Hmm? So you have to give something in the sacrifice, and you get the thing. It's magical, and you think, "Wow, that's that was pretty neat." You know, so you you get into that. What you get it? What you really get, though, besides the thing, is you get some faith in the text to talk about those things. And so then you start looking deeper into the text, and you find out actually, the texts are talking about the fact that things aren't the best things. And then, so from this ritualistic path of legal taking, if you will, we're taking from the world, but it's legal because we've honored the givers, the providers, the gods and the goddesses, nature's capacity in different respects to provide and so forth. Hmm? We've done that, and then... We got the big thing we got was faith in the in in the mystery of this kind of revelation, these sacred texts manifesting from the from saints and so forth, their inner experience, and they're articulating it, for example. And so then you find out that the texts are really talking about hmm, things aren't the best things. You are the best thing. Your consciousness, you know yourself. Hmm? And so then you go. Then there's a system for knowing yourself, which means giving up the things. It's a practice. Bhairagya, Gyan Marg. So these are this is a boga taking marg and a and a and a Gyan Marg of, of giving up. But both of these paths are centered on the world. Hmm? Taking from it, getting away from it. Hmm? Bhakti comes in the middle. It's the middle way, hmm? if you will. It comes in the middle. Hmm? It involves this. If it's favorable for bhakti, I take it. Just like, for example, in bhakti mark, we offer our food to Bhagwan. Hmm? We prepare it in a certain way, we offer it. And it's good. So, we enjoy it. Hmm? Because it's bhakti too. We, we, in other words, we, we, the implications, we live only on the remnants of God. Hmm? So, it tastes good. I can't say, well, I can't say it doesn't. So, I'm enjoying it but I'm enjoying it in the context of, of bhakti. Hmm? And so bhakti may also require that certain things are not favorable for bhakti, so I will, I'll give them up. Hmm? I won't offer them. Hmm? I don't consider them food. I might have previously, but I don't. Hmm? Just to use that food-eating example. So bhakti is, 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 um, is not about enjoying the world. It's neither. It's about getting away from the world. 
and our life is running on these two tracks. So it's a holy spiritual path, is what I want to say. Hmm? If, in the context of bhakti, there's something to be enjoyed, I take it happily. If, in the context of bhakti, something is to be given up, no problem. I leave it behind. Hmm? And this, then, uh, and this, as I say, this kirtan is central to this bhakti. It's very user-friendly. It's a, it's a heart path. Um, and we, 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 it's, it's, it's the perennial, uh, really, teaching of the sacred text. It's the essence of the text. But because we come into a spiritual path from these two tracks of enjoying and renouncing, hmm? I'm speaking about it not as a, in a sophisticated way, but just even just systematic. We just do this. We either try to enjoy, and then we, as I said, we, we try to give it up. That's our, the two tracks our life is running on. So we come into the path, for example, of bhakti or the sacred text, and then we, we tend to gravitate towards the circumference of it. And we identify with spirituality with, with giving things up or with getting things. Sometimes they say, I had someone say to me, Swami, oh, uh, I, uh, I, uh, he had known me. I haven't seen you in many years, and uh, uh, you have a nice ashram and... Uh, in Northern California, I've heard. I said, yes, yes, yeah, very nice. And he said, uh, and uh, how many devotees are there? I said, oh, I think there's three. <laughs> there's a few more now, but this is a while ago. And, and I could see he was, he thought, oh, I guess I shouldn't have asked that. There's not much going on there. <laughs> it's not happening. In other words, he, I could understand, oh, he's thinking, he's feeling that he's a, he's a devotee, but he's, not really gravitating towards the center. He's thinking, if unconsciously, he's unaware of it, but he's thinking that if by bhakti you get things, people, buildings, that you must be a real real devotee. Hmm? You must really be a devotee. <laughs> and on the other side, then you have the people who think that, that well... Yeah, my guru only eats the tulsi leaves, you know, the sacred basil, on on fast days, and otherwise he doesn't eat at all. And they, wow, he must really have something. He must really be somewhere. His detachment is like attractive. Things are atta- attractive. Wealth is an opulence, so we'll go there. And the power to give up all things. Wow, that is attractive. So these things overtly. This is how our life works. You see, we work, we either go for things or giving up things. So when we meet someone who has things in a spiritual context, he's got lots of followers. Well, he must be really, that must be the one. Hmm? Or he or she is really renounced. Austerities, for example, fasting and, and um, sitting in the fire, next to the fire at noon in August... Tapa, you know, tapa means fire. It means austerity. It means fire. Also, he's got going in the Ganges up to your neck in in January, in in, in you know, Prayag. And this all to, to still the mind, to be detached, and so forth. Think, wow, he must be really spiritual. Hmm? 
There is, you know what Kumbh Mela is, right? Kumbh Mela? Kumbh Mela is a big, big spiritual festival in India. It's the biggest spiritual festival on the planet. It happens every 12 years. Millions and millions and millions of people come to the Kumbh Mela. And uh, it's, it corresponds with a certain astrological time, and there's a certain time to bathe in the confluence of the rivers. And, and um, so it's huge. I mean, millions of people, I think, I think like 12 million people or 20 million people or something like that attended the last Kumbh Mela. And so every lineage of every path is there with their, their Mahant, you know, their leader and so forth. And they all set up shop. And, and also, as a story, this is a, from times gone by, the Kumbh Mela. It's become a little more commercial now, but uh, in times gone by, then it would kind of be determined at the Kumbh Mela, who was the, you know, the person who really had achieved spiritually, who was most venerable. These days they fight over it, even who's going to bathe at what time, you know, there's a certain time where the ones, the right, the highest ones can bathe, and you know. So anyway, so then one fellow demonstrated his spirituality by walking on the water. That's a city, Lagima, it's called Lagima City, to become light. Hmm. And, and, and defy gravity. So he walked on the water, like we hear Christ walked on the water. Hmm. And so everybody was like amazed by that. That's a pretty good accomplishment. <laughs> he walked on the water. So there was one Vaishnava, Krishna Bhakta, hmm, there also. And he didn't give his vote. Wasn't, he thought it would be unanimous. Said, Why are you not saying he's the, you know? And he said, well, I didn't just think, just didn't think it was worth that much for for a rupee, I could take a boat across the water. <laughs> so there's more to life than walking on water, more to spiritual life than, than powers. Hmm? A fellow told me once I was talking to him, and he was very, <laughs> he was inspired and so forth. He said, you know, I think I might want to, like, join with you people and be a, a monk. I said, hey, you're welcome to try it out, you know. And he said, but the thing is, and he had long dreadlocks as a young guy. And he said, but I could never cut my hair because the monks, they shave their head in our tradition. And, and I said, oh, why not? And he said, because all my power is in my hair. And I said, oh, you see, it's not about power. It's about understanding who's actually powerful. <laughs> Serving the one who's actually powerful. It's not about getting power. Hmm? <laughs> what power you can have in your hair compared to the <laughs> <yeah>. Vishnu. <laughs> so you can make a gold nugget, you know, it's possible by like by Prapti Prapti City, you know, Prapti City. By Prapti City, that's another city, yoga city, you can put your hand, and then this hand is only a representation of my hand. There's a subtle part to this too, and it can extend further. So I can go somewhere with my hand and bring a medallion or somebody, to steal it from somebody's jewelry box, you know, and then show it to you, and you think that I'm really somebody now. <laughs> I'm a thief, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you can, anyway, if you can make gold, then just solve the economic crisis, and then we'll understand, you must be Krishna. <laughs> You've saw, but for the gold necklace, <laughs> that's not good. It may enamor a few people, hmm. but there's more to spiritual life than that. Hmm is the idea. So this is how bhakti kind of looks at that. Now you go into the bhakti, into the text, but because we come from taking and renouncing these two tracks, we gravitate towards these two things. Bhakti is just like, what do you get out of bhakti? 
Nothing. You just get to do more bhakti. That's all you get. That's all. Hmm? If you do bhakti partially, you get things. Hmm? It is said with the chanting, nam. If you chant the nam and make offense to the name at the same time, it's possible. You could offend the name. Then you'll get good karma from that. You can go to heaven, for example. There's a there's heavenly celestial realms. You live there for a long time, then come back down. You go up and down. People do it all the time. And then if you chant a shadow of the name without any offense, you can get mukti very easily. But if you do shuddha nam, the pure name, in other words, you do the name for the sake of the name and in such a way that you realize, as I said earlier, the name and the name are non-different, you enter into then into the leela, into the into 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 love of God. Hmm? So the offensive the offense to the chanting gives you the taking and the renunciation, mukti, leaving the world from a shadow of the name, the whole name, if you will. Hmm? It's like this. I could try to own everything, hmm? or I could try to get the power to give up everything. Or I could serve the person who owns everything and knows everything and has all power. There's a nice statement in the Gita. Krishna says, Bhuktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshwaram. He says, Bhuktaram jagatapasam. I am, the, I am the object of all sacrifice. It means, uh, and Sarvaloka Maheshwaram, everything belongs to me. So everything is for me and everything belongs to me. It's like, wow, what's left for us? You kind of think, oh, goodness. And then he says, Suridam Sarvabhutanam. And if you accept that, then I become your friend. So all of a sudden you become the friend of the person who knows and owns everything. It's a very comfortable position to be in. When I was a young boy, my family moved from uh, New York City when I was about eight. I was born in a Catholic family, Holy Name Hospital, and just outside of New York City. <laughs> and I was just there, actually. We went to New York, and some of my students were with me. They said, we've got to go find that Holy Name Hospital. Like we were, Is it near here? You know, I said it was a long time ago. And just as the exit, we came to where we were going for a program for Kirtan. I said, Holy Name Hospital. <laughs> you know. Anyway, that was interesting. <laughs> but when we moved, they moved to the, my parents moved to the uh, suburbs of Chicago, and there was a, just a few families in this uh, community now that has so many families. And there were a lot of trees, and there was a pond, and we used to go ice skating there. So we would go, my brother and I, my older brother's 14 months old or so, and, you know, when you're young, two boys the same age, they getting a lot of mischief together. So we would go out skating, but there were a couple of older boys in the community, and they were bullies. And it happens. still happens today, apparently. So they, they were bullies, and they would make it real difficult for us to have a good time skating there. So what could we do? I mean, they were bigger than us. Hmm? So then one day, my father came and skated with us on the pond. So then we could walk up to the bullies like this and skate around them, you know, and... <laughs> <laughs> make faces at them and so forth. We didn't become any stronger, really. Our <laughs> position didn't change, but by identification with, with our source, if you will, which was stronger and greater, then we had strength. So 
Strength really comes spiritually not from taking or the power of acquiring knowledge or other kind of subtle powers even, uh, but by acknowledging our smallness. Hmm? Kirtan is really about that. It's really say, I'm small, what can I do? I'm just calling out for help. Hmm? Something like that. Sometimes you see the hands go up like this. It means I give up. Hmm? I tried to control my situation. It's out of control. Or you may be out of control in the kirtan also. That's good. That's called love. Hmm? Love can't be controlled. So this kirtan, hmm? this bhakti tradition, is really the center of the sacred text. It's what it's really, really all about. Hmm? It includes within it a healthy form of renunciation. It includes within it a healthy form of taking. And and it was it kind of uh, resurfaced in a prominent way in India in the fifteenth and sixteenth century, and you had different persons orchestrating this kirtan. Guru Nanak, for example, of the Sikh tradition, so they they advocated Satnam and they would chant the name of Ram and the name of Krishna. And their book is. Guru Granta is full of the virtues of the name of Krishna, the name of Ram. These are the Sikhs. You've seen Sikhs, the turban and so forth. And, and, uh, and then you have Tukram, for example, in Maharashtra was doing Kirtan. Kabir, you know Kabir, the poet? Hmm? Everywhere he's talking about name, the, the name hmm? and chanting. So these were different types of persons. And in the midst of all, there was this Sri Chaitanya in Bengal. He made a theology out of the Kirtan. He plumbed the depths of the name hmm, in an extraordinary way. When he would chant Krishna, these two syllables, he would fall in a swoon in ecstasy. And um, and and the, his followers traced out, they identified the ecstasy from the Upanishads and other texts for what it was, and they made a whole theology out of this, a theology of the ecstasy of the name, how it would, what his external appearance, and so how it corresponded internally with his participation in, in the leela of Krishna, how it was sh- manifesting externally in the body with hair standing on end and tears pouring out of his eyes, bathing people in front of him from the, from the chanting. Hmm? So this is, a, this is like echoing, rippling across the subcontinent of India. This is like really the genesis of the kirtan that we find in, in the Western world, in, in the uh, yoga community, in the spiritual community. Hmm? And that place, he was appeared in West Bengal at the, in the Ganga of the Delta, the Delta of the Ganga, hmm? where the Ganga, the Ganges, comes into the into the Bay of Bengal. Hmm? And um, he predicted, "Prithibhati jata nagaradigram mornam." This this will go everywhere. Hmm? This will go to every town and village of the world. The history of how that's happened to one extent or another, or is happening. It's very interesting, very touching also. Hmm? But anyway, to get to our point here, in Bengal, hmm, where all this has come to us from in one sense, it comes from obviously beyond beyond Bengal, there's a prominent worship of Devi, the goddess, also. Hmm? There's worship of, there's, they're called bhaktas and shaktas. So shakta, they worship Devi. Hmm? But from the bhakti perspective, the shaktas don't understand Devi fully. Hmm? Devi, the mother, 
Sheep is like the uh, material nature is like the is like the womb hmm? in which the seed of consciousness is implanted that vishnu where the universe has come from he said to glance at 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 devi hmm? and the, his glance is called shambhu it's another name for shiva it means consciousness here the, the the one becomes many in the glancing and and the womb of material nature is impregnated with the seed of consciousness and the world begins the subjective consciousness and the objective world of nature and the combination of the two makes the whole thing go around hmm? and some people then in Bengal they take, take put precedence uh, they give precedence to to Devi but they want things from her hmm? There's a whole tradition, and they worship her for things and so forth, and and so she's like not really, she doesn't think that's really the best thing. But anyway, <laughs> she gives them things. But some people they they um, worship Davy, but they wanted from Davy all that Davy had to offer, in a sense, and Davy turned them in the direction of Govinda, of Krishna. You are chanting my name, hmm? but I can tell what you want. Actually, is something you get from Gobinda, who's 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 given the seed hmm? into the womb of material nature that I personify hmm? to make the world go round, and who wants to not really bring an end to the world, like Mukti, but to bring real meaning to the world by by saying, by affirming what all humans sense that the life is about love it's not about knowledge knowledge means attachment is ignorance stop it be still hmm? no there's more to that hmm? and then love has a kind of knowledge in it also in other words mukti is contained inside of bhakti you cannot get bhakti from mukti but you can get mukti from bhakti very easily it's a small thing. Hmm? You can get love of Godhead. Hmm? And that happens when you have no attachment. In the context of pursuing it, attachments will go away. So Devi really likes these these bhaktas. She really likes them. Hmm? But she's a mother. So mother have to nurse their kids, even if they're, you know, you know, you're you're kind of saddled with that, <laughs> even though they don't maybe always do the things that you want them to do or what's good for them and so forth. So, she's a nourisher, so she facilitates them. Hmm? Krishna is a little different. If if he, he takes things away from his devotees, so that they'll have nothing but have to depend on him. Hmm? He said, if 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 he's really kind to his devotee, he takes everything away from him. Hmm? <laughs> so then he has nothing, no recourse. But you can't blame Davy for for that's a mother's role, right? Hmm? But sometimes then as I say people worship Davy and then but they have the right idea in mind. She turns them towards Govinda. So there's a song I'll sing about this. Bajahure Mana Sinandanandana Abai Charanara Bindure Bajahure Mana Sinanda 
So the story behind this song is that there was a devotee of Devi in Bengal and he approached the goddess so sincerely that she understood that what he wants is not what most of my children want, (laughs) things. Hmm? And so this song was given by Devi to Govindadas, and the name Govindadas is Govindadas Abhilas. This is his desire. He says, Bajahure Mana Sinandanandana. She told him, Govindadas, you sing like this. You go to Govinda, hmm? that, then you will, not only you will, you will please me, hmm? but you will get what you want, and you will also get me in my most full manifestation. The song goes, Bajahure Manasi Nandanandana Abhai Charanada Vindure. Just, oh my dear mind, Bajahure Mana Sri Nandanandana. Just worship, Nandanandana is a name for Krishna. Just worship Govinda, Krishna. Dulabha Manava Janama Satsange. You have a very rare thing that's called Dulabha Manava Janama. Birth as a human is very rare. There's so many types of birth, right? So many types of trees, so many types of animals, so many insects, so many germs. On the end of my finger, there's more than humans on the planet. We are very few. Hmm. This is a rare opportunity. He said, you have two things, and this is all you need. You have human birth, dulava manava janama satsange, satsange. You have satsanga, association with sadhu, saintly person. The Tara e Babas in the ocean of material existence can be crossed over easily with this. Then it says, Shravana Kirtana, it lists the limbs, the Angis, the Angas, the limbs of the body of Bhakti, hearing, chanting, meditating, and so forth. Hmm? Very nice song. There's some other lines in between. What Devi meant is this she told him, You go to Krishna, Govinda. Hmm? Fix your mind on Krishna, and you will find me in my form next to Krishna. That is my full manifestation. Durga means, Durga is a name for Kali. Durga, these are different names for the goddess, mother. It's her day today. Durga means Durga. Durga means difficult, and Ga means to go. So the material world is difficult to go from. It's difficult to get out. And we approach the goddess, uh, the womb of material nature from which we were born, in a sense, for things only. We only stay here. She'll give them. The mother nurses the child, you know, tries to give good advice, but everybody doesn't lend a, a, you know, a receptive ear, necessarily. But Durga is also a name for Radha. Hmm? And it means difficult to go to. Hmm? Difficult to go from material world. And even if you should get out, it's difficult to go, go all the way to Radha. Hmm? Krishna, as I said earlier, is the fountainhead of all the avatars. And if we have we study the different avatars, we see they all have consorts as well. They have, in other words, better halves, if you will, hmm? the feminine, you know, side to them of themselves. Hmm? So, next to Krishna is Radha. Hmm? 
And she then is the fountainhead of all the shaktis. Hmm? Standing next to Indra, Saraswati next to Brahma, hmm? Uma next to Shiva, and so on and so forth. As they are partial manifestations of Krishna, so the different goddesses are all partial manifestations of Krishna. So Devi, Durga, Kali, hmm? she said, you worship Gobind and you will find me there standing next to him. Hmm? He's he's under my control there. (laughs) I want you to know me, in other words, fully. Yes, uh, you were born for me, I'm your mother. I want to nourish you in the fullest sense. Mm-hmm. So she gave him this song to help him. So that's our Mother's Day tribute. <laughs> Any question? What's the time? Okay, time flies and I'll be flying soon. So that's a few minutes, but it's nice to meet with all of you. Some of you have come for all three days. It's very kind of you. That's very encouraging. I appreciate it. Yes? There's a new uh, philosopher that he's preaching over over the United States or or all over the world. He's preaching that oneness only, and it seems like everybody gets into it. And uh, what is the the benefit of just because he said that I am you, you are me, and we are one, mm-hmm. and and uh, we just we just need to shut up and listen to the sound of the universe silence. I'm sure you're putting it simply, but uh, <laughs> but but accurately. <laughs> what is the benefit of that? Well, I, you know, there there's certainly some some benefit to um, most of the time. People are talking about things not worth talking about, and they're not listening. Also, most of the time, they're not listening to uh, to nature and, uh, and and Devi. Devi means you know the goddess means she's speaking to us. Nature's movements really they 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 speak loudly to us if we would listen. There's a nice verse, for example, in the Bhagavad. I love this verse. Ayur harati vaipumsam udhanastam chayanaso. It says ayur harati. Ayur means life, like Ayurved. Life. Ayur harati. Harati means to take away. Ayur harati by pumsam. Pumsam means people. Everyone means life is being taken away. Udyanastam chayanaso. With the rising and the setting of the sun, everyone's life is being taken away. Nothing, in one sense, speaks louder to us than the rising and the setting of the sun every day. We think of it poetically as the Bhagavad describes it. He's in a chariot moving across the sky. Hmm? I mean, if the sun didn't come up tomorrow, that would be pretty big news, right? You couldn't even read the paper. There wouldn't be enough light in the morning. Sun, such a big... You know, we were always thought to be orbiting around it, right? So it's it's so prominent. So in such a powerful way, nature is speaking to us. And the, and the Bhagavad reads it like this. The rishis, sadhus, they read it like this. This is what it's saying. Wow. This is how they see the sunset and the sunrise. It's fascinating. How do we see it? You know, we don't even see it. We just see the things that it lets us do, that have that that they, that constitute ignoring the message that the sun is is trying to relate to us. In a sense, we're busy with things that we can't keep, hmm? and we want an enduring existence. 
So they see how they read it. They spoke about it poetically. And we'll say, well, really, Swami, the sun's not really going across the sky. The earth is moving like this. And, you know, so, so yeah, you can think about it like that. <laughs> but sometimes poetry makes the point a little better. It describes, helps us to participate in the world rather than being an objective outsider, distanced. And then we wonder, do I exist? And, you know, existentialism is born and all these things. Problematic. Hmm? <laughs> so, <laughs> so to, to be quiet and try to, to, to listen, there's a, there's a message in the, in, in, the, in the movements of nature. The goddess is speaking to us. She says, oh, this is taking, life as you know it is being taken away at every moment. So what to do about that? The next line says, Life is being taken away for everyone except those who are doing kirtan. Hmm? Their life is not being taken away because life as they know it that, re- that arises out of kirtan, that is another kind of life. Hmm? The object of the kirtan is not something that is here today and will be gone tomorrow. Therefore, the attachment that comes to that object, the Godhead, hmm, as Krishna, for example, or as Ram, forms an identity, just like our attachment to things forms an identity. But this is an identity that's enduring. Hmm? So, their life is not being taken away by the rising and the setting of the sun. Hmm? They're moving in the direction of eternity and a, and a meaningful identity. So, I'm saying more than he does, at least as you've put it. But um, but to listen to to be quiet and listen is is good. And one of the things that we can learn from that is that uh, we all have something much in common. Hmm? We are all consciousness. We're not matter, and we're all one in that regard. Hmm? We're all. Um, Satchitananda. So we all uh, we're eternal. We uh, cognizant and blissful by na- by nature. Hmm? So I think that in the context of bhakti, where we're talking about differentiation as well, it doesn't compromise unity. This unity that that gentleman or lady you know, say uh, is talking about is kind of I would call it like an interim. It's like in the context of bhakti, that will also be realized, but something more will, will come from that. Hmm? And humanity pines, and I mean that by that the soul is pining, because humanity means, again, nature wakes up to the fact that it has a soul, and it's us. Hmm? And we pine for unity, and we pine for diversity at the same time. So a philosophy that advocates unity, that does away that with the problematic diversity, has some value, but if it doesn't afford us diversity that doesn't compromise the unity, we'll still be incomplete. Uh, our, our, our self-realization will still be uh, in need of growth. Does that help? That's what I think about it. What else? Yes? Can you talk about um, Lila a little bit more? About Lila? It's a very esoteric concept, but Lila if you could translate it literally it means like play but it, it, it uh, it's only used in the context of, the, of divinity so it means divine play so there's a kind of movement 
then. Lila implies movement. Play is moving. It's not sitting still. Hmm? Um, uh, we're familiar with movement, right? We move, and we move for a reason. What is the reason that we move? The reason that we move is because we're not fulfilled. Hmm? We have desires, and desires make us move for things. We sit, be still, but we have desires, so we get up. And, and and why do we want things? We, we feel we feel somewhat uh, in lack. We have a necessity because we've identified with matter in the form of this body. Let's say, for example, and it has needs. In other words, this particular configuration of matter uh, it needs certain things in order to be sustained, and it can't be sustained ultimately. Hmm? I've identified with it. I'm eternal. I identify with something that's not. I'm trying to posit my eternality on it and make it, because I've identified with it, I think it's me, so I'm trying to make it be what I am. I'm trying to make this material identity to be the whole thing that's only a, you know, we're trying to make an Academy Award-winning movie out of something that's only one frame in the whole picture, one little life that you're passing through. And, and, and it's obscuring the whole, you know, the whole film and where it can go ultimately. So what's happening is the self is really expressing itself. I'm eternal. Hmm? So, I, I mean, we don't say, I want my body to be eternal. But we act like we do, really. We, we kind of know it's not. We maybe we get a hope from science that maybe it will be, you know, a new course or something. That, you know. But we kind of know it's not. But, we, but we, why we want that? Because that's what we are. We are a unit of eternity. So we try to play that out in relation to our misidentification with matter, this is problematic. And it causes movement. Hmm? Because the thing I've identified with has needs. So I've got to move to meet those needs. Hmm? So that movement involves taking. Hmm? Taking air, taking food. So when we take from nature, to whatever extent, then we owe. So this means karma. I've taken, so I owe. So off to work I go. Um, so there's obligatory work or action, movement, so to speak, that results from our identification with matter. And it's like moving in quicksand, because the more you move, the more you go down, the more you get in debt. It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real spiral downward. The more you take, the more you go down, the more you then become disposed towards taking in a particular way, because along with... Your, your karmic reaction involves also a tendency that you get. A tendency. You act in a certain way so many times, you develop a tendency to act in that way. So when the opportunity to, to act differently comes and you have a choice, you have already started to become predisposed towards choosing another way. You start to lose your will almost. It becomes obscured by the influence of matter. Life becomes almost deterministic. Hmm? Anyway, that's one type of movement. We want to move away from that. Hmm? That's problematic. And so, to move away from that means, well, I've got to become, you know, I let go of things and, and I have to look within and find my identity within, identify with consciousness rather than matter, and so on and so forth. I start to become still, I have less desires, I can sit longer, for example, and so on. And so I say, I say I become perfect in that, so I can sit perfectly. Why move? I don't want anything. I have no need. Hmm? But Leela is a kind of movement, then, on the other side, if you will. 
let's say, say, here we got material existence in the realm of karma. Here's the zero point. Here's ground zero right here, okay? I should get a, have a PowerPoint display or something. Here's like, that's not for me, but here's, here's like ground zero, and then here's the negative numbers, okay? Negative numbers, debt. So the karmic realm is movement, and the movement it, it makes me a debtor. And so I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm in negative numbers here. The more I move, the more I owe, the more implicated I am in material existence, and so forth. So I want to move away from that. So there are meditative techniques, practices, spiritual disciplines, philosophy for that. Hmm? We take that, and we move to the Buddhist zero. Emptiness, for example. Shunya. Nirvana means to blow out, literally, to extinguish. Hmm? You come from negative numbers to zero. That zero has some positive content to it in comparison to negative numbers. There you are, sitting, kind of, it's so negative, it's positive, but it's so negative that there's no differentiation, there's no other, start to wonder if there's me, but anyway, at least I'm not suffering. Buddhism is about ending suffering. That's what it's about. It doesn't go beyond that. It says the world is about suffering and there's a means to end suffering. It says the world is about, you know, the Four Noble Truths. The world is about suffering. Suffering comes from desire. Hmm? And desire, what can be ended by, um, by uh, right action. Hmm? And there's a fourth one. I forget. I forgot one. But anyway, uh, the world is about desire and extinguishing desire or excuse me the world's about suffering suffering comes to desire by extinguish desire can be extinguished and the noble path is the way hmm? so extinguish desire you won't suffer that's true now the question is is enlightened life about not suffering can it only be defined negatively hmm? is it only the removal of a, of the of the of the negative influence. In other words, you've come to zero. It's positive in relation to positive, negative numbers, but the question arises: Are there any positive numbers? That's a far out idea. Hmm? Now, not everybody talks about that. The Buddha was particularly silent about it, and there are reasons for that also. Hmm? Historically, what was happening in India and why the Buddha was he, he basically he was he said, "Don't bother to ask that question." What's the nature of nirvana? It's not worth talking about. It won't help you, he said. Is there God? We don't talk about that. Hmm? He cons- and people will do this. Great saints and teachers will teach according to time and circumstance and the audience and say things that they don't always tell the whole story because we are not ready to digest it or it won't be useful for us. Hmm? That's how we, from the bhakti tradition, look at Buddha hmm? and for good reason. He was quiet about certain things, but all the sacred texts are not necessarily quiet about. There is some talk about nirvana. In Gita you find the word nirvana combined with Brahma, Brahma Nirvana. Hmm? A Brahman, a nirvana with content. Content. Huh? It's like um, it's like Buddha says, well, nirvana is a room, but there's nobody in it. And then you go to Advaita Vedanta and you say, there's a room, there's there's somebody in it, but the lights are off. So you, you, it's a very slight 
differentiation. You can't see anybody, so it might as well be nobody there, but but there's something, there's some content to it. Hmm? It's a content, uh, it's, a, it's a, yeah. <laughs> now, Bhakti says, turn on the lights. <laughs> there's a room, there's people there, turn on the lights and start the party. Hmm? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's basically the idea. So, so that party is Leela. Hmm? So there's movement there. And that movement... <laughs> That 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 movement is is not out of any necessity, any lacking, but out of fullness. In other words, the the static fullness, the still fullness, is reaches such a pitch that you ha- you have a necessity to celebrate it, and so that then dancing, to use an example, Nietzsche said, if there was a god, he'd be a dancer. So we said, you know, we should hear, come to the kirtan. We've, we've, we've got it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, therefore, Krishna is Brahman Nirvanam, dancing. That's the whole idea. This Nirvana means to blow out the material existence, to end it. Hmm? The world of desire, want for things. And Brahma, Brahman means spir- spiritual content that's left, the consciousness that was that 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 was moving erroneously in relation to matter hmm? it got caught up in the smoke so to speak the smoke screen of material existence like there's something happening here and i'm going to find it it's really yourself you're looking for hmm? buddhism just deals with blowing it out hmm? you know extinguishing hmm? in advaita vedanta for example in the gyanmarg then it says there's a, there, there's something left over hmm? it's it's brahman it's consciousness you're of that nature it's undifferentiated hmm? spiritual stuff, and you're of that. You're that. Hmm? Hmm? Now, if you take this Brahman Nirvana and you animate it by Shakti, Radha is the Shakti. Hmm? We bring in the Shakti, then it causes this Brahman to dance. So, in the empty room, there's, it's really not empty. Hmm? Hmm? Turn lights on, you see. Oh, there's actually somebody, and there's a party going on. That's Leela. So, Leela is then depicted. This is a philosophical idea. Philosophical idea is the theological idea that there's 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 movement in relation to the absolute. There's us, and there's and and there's the absolute, and there's a unity that's forged by bhakti that makes you and I, we, God, and me become we. I don't get extinguished. God doesn't get extinguished, but we are on the same page. Hmm? And there's, so, so there's, there's waves, if you will, of reciprocal dealing. There's a sense of me and you and we're one. And, and so then this is, this is movement, hmm? in, in, on the other side. Sometimes it's talked about like as a spiritual world. And there, I said, like waves, the, the Brahman has emotions. They're not emotions based on arising from material attachment but just the nature of being. Consciousness has the pe- capacity to feel. We are the feelers. So when consciousness feels itself rather than matter, then it's really starting to feel. Hmm? This Shakti, then, Shakti, what is Shakti? Shakti is, you have Shakti Man, Shakti, like the energetic and the energy, energetic source and energy. Hmm? They're one and they're different at the same time. There's heat and light and there's fire. They're all one, but they're all 
different, but you can't separate them, but they're different at the same time, right? Hmm? So like, like, like there's Krishna the fire, Radha's the heat and the light. I mean, you need you need the both. <laughs> they they go together. They're different, but it makes for some movement. Hmm? The interaction makes for some movement, so that ultimate reality is not still, and it's not moving in an unhealthy way, but in a healthy way. So there's unity and diversity. So the Leela then is depicted, hmm? and I should say it's experienced. The form of Krishna is not just a story, but actually Brahman takes a, takes a shape. It's not something that happens in time. Hmm? It takes a shape for those who approach Brahman with bhakti. I'll give you an example. There's a story like this. Some villagers in India heard that the British had put a train in to the town. And that from that train, you go to the station, you get on the train, you go from Brindaban to Delhi so much faster than going by horse and buggy. So some of these villagers, that did you know what a train was when you grew up? So you didn't know what a train was. Brajalila. So she Brajalila goes to the train station. She hears there's a train. And when you, and, you, and this train can is really far out. It goes like really fast. And so, so she gets there. Everybody's sitting in the seat waiting for the train. And all of a sudden you hear in the distance. And everybody goes, there's a train. And they all stand up. And so Brajalila thinks, wow, the train is a whoo, that's a train. Wow, yeah, I'm, I'm fast, I never heard a sound like that. I don't know how I'm going to ride it, but that's, the, you know, uh, that's a train. Then they all walk out to the, to the, you know, from inside to the, to the platform. And then she's saying, well, you know, she can't hear the siren anymore, so the horn, she says, where's the train? Then somebody sees in the distance the light on the front of the train. It's big light. At a distance, it just looks like a big light. So that's a train. She says, oh, it's a big light. The train's a big light. I got it. Wow. I don't know how I'm going to ride it, but <laughs> it's <a> maybe. <laughs> you know, right? And of course, then the train pulls up. The conductor gets out. People get on. The meals are being served. And she gets it. Oh, that's the train. Okay. That's the whole thing. So similarly, there are paths that afford us different angles of vision of the Absolute. Hmm? And you may want one of them. Take it. No problem. Hmm? If you want to bask in the eternal light, yogic, beatific, you know, Catholic, whatever, light of the Absolute and passive adoration, I say go for it. Hmm? If you want to, if you want and if you want to enter the Leela of Krishna and all these things we're talking about, then that's another thing. It's similar, it's, it's included, it's part, but which is more, I don't know, you tell me. That's up to you to decide. Is the horn more? Is the light more? Or is the whole train more? Hmm? Objectively, you could make an argument that bhakti gives the more. It's possible. But then again, the more is what's more for you. Hmm? So... People have a sanskar for gyan, some have a sanskar for yoga, some get a sanskar, a tendency for bhakti, and where does it come from? Depends who you, who, whose company you keep. Hmm? So many of you people I can see, where you come from, I mean, from times gone by, previously, what do you have sanskara for, what do you have a tendency for, hmm? for spiritual discipline and so forth. Some of you are hearing about this kind of thing, like what I'm talking about in particular, first time. Hmm? Some heard it before. You don't remember that, but hmm? 
If we get association up for, for Gyan Sanskar, we'll, have to, we'll naturally identify with that philosophy and that ideal of the absolute. And some of the things I'm talking about just won't quite compute. But if you, but then again, if you spend enough time, it might. Because there's, <laughs> because that's included in what I'm talking about also. It's hmm? included in that. Hmm? Brahman is the great absolute everywhere. And Krishna is that same thing that's everywhere, that substance, consciousness, moving. Now, how something who's everywhere can move, all we can say is, it does. And that's far out. Hmm? That, so I'm interested, personally, in that. So we see, we find Leela, Krishna's moving from this place to the next. He has a form. It's only like, well, you know, medium size. Hmm? But what is that? It's actually Brahman, the whole of Brahman, which is, means like, Ananda, but the Ananda aspect of it is concentrated. Concentrated Ananda. And think about it. You can take advantage of that Ananda more in a concentrated form. Krishna's charming, right? Then Radha too. <laughs> Radha and Krishna. So, Leela is this, this movement between Radha and Krishna. And, and Radha personifies like all that the, that the soul could be in terms of loving Krishna. Hmm? And all of the interactions that you find in the Leela, like the cows interact with Krishna in the Leela, Krishna has friends, Krishna has parents, and so forth. These are all types, they're, they're all types of ecstasy. Hmm? Dominant ecstatic emotions that are, are arise out of, uh, of fixation on, on the Absolute. Like, a, like a, I feel like I could be, I want to I wanna like be kind to Brahman. I mean, it's, I was talking about the other day, it's the whole reversal. God, God's kind to us. I want to be kind to God. It's like transcendental compassion. Hmm? Or like a friend, just like I love a friend, equally. Like, you know, you and I are on the same page. We're just like, we're, we're together. To, like, to love God like that, or like a lover. So these different players, paradigmatic players in the Leela, they represent these different all of what love is about. I mean, love is not just about, you know, reverence. We know it to be var- variegated, and there's a scale of reciprocation. So, bhakti is all about this. It's huge. Then, see where bhakti excels is in that world beyond ground zero. There's like, wow, so many possibilities there. Therefore, so many avatars, and all, they all have their leelas. So it's a, it's 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 a kind of a dynamic uh, spiritual movement out of necessity that comes from fullness. The more static, you know, full you become, static, uh, uh, I mean like still and therefore full, not having to move in relation to matter, hmm? the more you become full, the static leads to dynamic, the dynamic leads to static. So these are the two, the diversity and the unity. This is our chinta beda beda, this is our teaching, this is our Vedanta. Beda beda, that the absolute is bed and abhed. Advaita means abhed. That's what you're talking about. That that sounded like that. Abhed, no difference. We're talking about diff- no difference and difference at the same time. Now that doesn't compute, but then I give an example again. There is heat, light, and fire. And they're one and they're different. So We are a shakti of Bhagavan. We are a shakti of Bhagavan. Radha represents the full Shakti. 
So we are feminine in that sense. In, in our tradition, every, every soul, every atma is considered feminine. Hmm? Every atma. And Bhagwan is, is is the kind of male side. These aren't the best words to use, to, but hmm? and so we are the the bade, the difference. Hmm? We're small, but there's enough difference then for there to be reciprocal dealings, which are required for love. Does that uh, help? Yeah, it's something to think about. <laughs> Maybe better something to chant about. <laughs> so, anything else? Yes, sir. Yeah, um, I really appreciate what you said today because um, I have some questions after your talk on Friday. I, I practice in the Zen Buddhist tradition and uh, I see what you're saying about that. Yeah. Up to, uh, to, to extinguishing. Um, and, uh, but where I had some confusion Friday was when you talked about uh, that sort of uh, not thinking anymore that we're the material, but toward what our consciousness is. Um, which I do understand. You know, the way, the way my teacher would put it is. Uh, Turn your mind away from the non-essential to the essential. Uh, but then we have another thing which I think is kind of, and maybe you can speak a bit more on it today, about um, what we call uh, the Sino-Japanese word is sandokai, means uh, unity or, or harmony of difference and sameness. And that's sort of that above zero <laughs> area for us. Um, you know, it's, it's seeing the the consciousness, the shunyata, and the infinite in the material, and also see to seeing to seeing nirvana in samsara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's like um, there's another Japanese term. What is that? Um, Wabi sabi, you know? Yeah. Leave it alone, or something like that. It's broken. It's maybe it's better, or something like that. Krishna is very wabi sabi. It's, and I've told some of my students that before. He's very wabi-sabi. Um, so if in the bhakti perspective, then, it's not about taking from the world. Neither it's about leaving the world. Hmm? It's about being in the world. and But like well, the example in the Gita is given, like a, like a, uh, like a lotus in the water, but it's not wet, and it's in the mud too. I mean, the stem is, but the flower of the lotus. Say that's the lotus. Let's say it's above the water. Hmm? So, if you study Krishna, for example, we find that he's in in lila. There's all kind of things that just look like what ordinary people are doing going on, hmm? but the consciousness is very different. There's no taking involved. So the problem with interacting in the world is that we're interacting for taking. There may be a way to interact and not be a taker. Now, that's easier said than done. So people will say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the world, but I'm... What would they say? They say, I'm not of it or I'm renounced, but I mean, that's a tall order. Hmm? That's not just something you think yourself into and think I'm detached. We'll measure your, that, <laughs> that when the time comes when things are being taken away. 
So um, that's what you're saying is 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 that that is that what I'm saying hmm, is there in some form at the heart of every tradition. Because if you take Advaita Vedanta, you take Buddhism to its fullest measure, you come to a similar kind of kind of idea. And now that's kind of like not what everybody gets out of it, hmm? especially in the beginning. You have your, you, you, I don't know if you have them in Zen, but of course they're there in the Tibetan tradition, the Bodhisattva. Hmm? Zen too? Mahayana, okay. Right. It's from, from the Mahayana, yeah. Yeah, so they want to stay in the world and until everyone's liberated and no one will ever be, every, every, no one may be and everyone will never be because there's no limit to the number of people. So, um, Right, 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 right. So we have a similar idea. Hmm. To be in the world but not of the world is more uh, the perfection than some kind of world-denying. Hmm. But there is an aspect. It, we deny worldliness, not the world. Hmm. Worldliness would mean to be to be worldly in your consciousness that, that, that the things are important of the world, but to be other. Be, be, in, be in the world but not of it is just not deny the world but not be worldly, materialistic in other words. Hmm. So, the Arhat or the, the, the you know, the, uh, the, the, the Buddha uh, or the Bhakta, hmm, the Jivan Mukta is a term in the Gyanma, Jivan Mukta, in the world but not of it. They then have Krishna is interacting with with it's 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 depicted in a very extreme way. Krishna's interacting with young girls. You think, man, he's pretty attached. This is a problem, you know. But there's no if you study it carefully, you see, oh, there's no there's no there's no attachment. That's easier said than done. I can say I'm not attached to her or her either, or, you know, or whatever. That's not what's being talked about. So help yeah. Try to go there. All right, well, I have to fly away, so I uh, appreciate all of your interesting questions and inquiring minds and hearts. And it's been very, um, and the sun's out here in Portland, too, so it's been a very nice visit. Thank you all very much.